0: everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast at Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at BurnOrangeNation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. Be like our friend Sourbane on Apple Podcasts, who gave us a... Uh, a glowing review of our content and analysis, but I uh, gave us some feedback on some technical things that we are working on. Thank you so much for the feedback. Again, you can subscribe wherever you find it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all of those places where you find fine podcast content. You can, for some reason, find Kyle and myself. Feel free to connect with us on Twitter at Pod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Calm. Well, my name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who supports anatomically correct stadium features, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you?
1: Oh, I am carefully choosing my words to respond to that. I just hope Chris conti uh keeps us in touch with the Human Anatomy staff as he does with the donors. But I think it is completely in line. USA Today had the Longhorn Faithful as
0: number one in the poll
1: uh, that was in the misery index poll longhorns we're still the best at something
0: we're the best at being sad kyle which you know what we are gonna be something at least be good at it and you know (laughs) what we're kind of pathetic so we're good at being bad So Texas loses got a little bit of taste of its own medicine. A last second field goal, 23 to 21 on the road in Ames against the Iowa state cyclones. Uh, That was a second chance field goal after uh, Texas defenders jumped offside to give Iowa state a first down. They were able to kill the clock. Uh, Man, there's so much to unpack about this game. There's so there's the weird part about this is one half of the team played really, really well after Basically outside of two drives, the defense played really well. And outside of maybe three drives, the offense played pretty, pretty poorly. I don't know where to start, but let's go ahead and and we'll just get it out there. The offense was a bit of a um, frustrating. Unit is what I'll go ahead and say Uh, 327 total yards. Texas has a chance. They go up uh, 21 to 20 late in the game, have a chance to run out the clock. They go three and out with basically three minutes, I think, left on the clock. Uh, Give the ball back to Iowa State. Texas had one. I'm going to just call it one successful drive in the first half of this game. The rest of them were just absolutely abysmal. Where do we start? Is it Do we start with the coaching? Do we start with the the players, Kyle? I don't know what to do uh, because there, there's just – I'm out of words, which if you've known me for any amount of time or you've listened to us for a while, you know that's a rare thing.
1: It was just frustrating. I mean, it, it, it watching this game, for every person who's listened to this podcast, you felt the same thing that Gerald and I sit here feeling today, thinking back and talking about it. And, and you can dive into the stats and give exactly why, but the takeaway from this is that it was just an – unbelievably frustrating game give some credit i guess to the iowa state defense but it really felt in this one like the longhorns just didn't didn't want it didn't win Out, just beat themselves they they didn't execute the plays that were called they didn't call the plays that they should have um they beat themselves it just it just it was just unbelievably frustrating to watch an offense when you know how good it can be um and then see what that was you know it, it I get it you have colin johnson out and and that hurts but if you are this point in tom herman's tenure and that you're that reliant on a single player and him being on the field or not being on the field unless it's your quarterback who's a heisman contender at some point this year um not really anymore but uh unless it's that i I don't really know how that's excusable and it's not like colin johnson uh hasn't missed any games before but i mean if if that's your excuse I, i just feel like the offense is in even more dire straits than than we imagine but other than that I I don't understand how you can just become a three and out factory like how you can go from an offense that has been elite at times this year has been nationally ranked this year still is kind of cashing checks off of that early season performance but I mean if you're going to slice this and just look at the last few weeks this offense has been middle of the road it's been probably lower end of the Big 12, especially compared to the way offenses look against our defense. Um, I, I, I just don't know what to say. I mean, there was – it looks like we came out and lined up in our Texas formation, the 11 personnel with, with three wide receivers and a tight end, and just didn't do anything particularly effective. Even when we got turnovers and started uh, on their side of the field, we couldn't do anything, and it was, it was miserable – Two watch, There was some, you know, it felt like when they they loosened up and had the pressure to go do something later in the game, and and they went four wides that they they moved the ball. I don't know. There might be some correlation there, but it just I I don't know what to say other than no one no one wowed me in this game on on the offensive side of the ball, except Eagles with this catch. Sorry, I'll but go on.
0: Going through the first half drives. Three plays for three yards, three plays for negative one yard, six plays for 23 yards, three plays for three yards, six plays for 17 yards, including a failed fourth down attempt in which they got the ball on the 39 yard line, three plays for nine yards, and then they closed the half, five plays, 75 yards, and a touchdown. Just guess at which one of those was not in their base set and which one was run up tempo. I'll give you a hint: it's the one where they scored. <laughs> like, and and that for me is the most telling thing in the world: is that the offensive staff is so insistent that they that they're right with their initial game plan that they lock in on one thing. And don't consider that maybe you've got to dance with the one that brung you. Like DKR said, like, okay, so of our, what, we have, what, 10 offensive series, nine offensive series in the first half, eight of them, seven of them were unsuccessful. One of them was successful. So let's go back to doing the thing that was unsuccessful. Like, I, it just, it boggles my mind. The fact that you've got two running backs that have a collective 27 yards and yet you go 12 personnel on the last offensive possession you end up having like that's inexcusable
1: it it, it seems very simple i mean it it just really seems like i can't even say the offensive line was terrible because i would have loved to see them get the chance to to get the defense on their heels right we talked about um a a defensive line that was kind of pinning back and heading downhill like why, why didn't we try to run the ball um you never got a chance to see again we talked about hey we found an identity Why running the ball this is good it sets up the play all the things we said last week are in our preview podcast basically were nullified when uh, I don't know if it was a Mike Leeds situation where you know Tim Beck left the playbook out and Iowa State read it but it just seemed like it just seemed like in the first half especially like they were picking our plays on Tecmo football and just uh you know crashing <laughs> crashing the uh, the line like that happens and there was no chance of of, of positive yards on it I mean I I don't like I said, I mean Duvernay continues to be a good player. he continues to to do good player things. I, I just you know we had odd calls we didn't stick to any identity we it, when we did try to run it was QB power and and, and it, we shouted it and put it on a billboard on our way out like it just it's just hard to say what I took away from that game other than like you tweeted on Sunday, I would love I would absolutely love. For someone to come in and sit down and say, hey guys, alignment's great, um, but this ain't working, here's my suggestion. And challenge this this kind of laissez-faire offensive play calling that has settled in, or, or you've just given up on the season. I mean, it, it is wild that all season we talked about how our defense was limiting the potential of an elite offense. And this offense, again, credit to Iowa State, I guess, they, they, they do have usually a pretty good unit and, and good coaching. But I mean, it, they just, they looked like a top 10 team playing, you know, in, in out of conference FCS team. I mean, it just, it just looked bad.
0: Yeah. When Texas scored its, its first touchdown in the second half, I, I tweeted out that it was shocking that this was a one score game. Like I know this should have been a three or four Iowa state. Let's be honest they were not competent on offense compared to what Texas is bringing on defense. And so in a game where your defense holds a team to 23 points in the, the best offensive conference in the country with the number six quarterback in the country, as far as passing yardage goes and you can't muster up 24 points like that, that's on the, that's on the offensive coaching staff. Like there's no two ways around that. And when Texas was able to score, it was players making individual incredible plays. It was, it was Sam rolling out of the pocket and finding Eagles along the sideline who made one of the best catches of the last 10 years. I would say, uh, just incredible, incredible play. Uh, you saw Sam scrambling for nine seconds to find Malcolm Epps in the end zone to go ahead. You saw him kind of eating a, a blitz, a they called the perfect play, uh, against an aggressive Iowa State defense, sneaking the running back behind the defenders and him kind of throwing off his back foot, Keontae gathering it in and going for a score. When you let your athletes go out there, an athlete, Texas man-to-man is probably five, six, seven times more athletic than what Iowa State put on the field man to man athlete to athlete there there's no competition so there's a limiting factor in and I think it's the offensive coaching staff
1: I, I think you're absolutely right and I mean you you talk about out athleting right a guy like Epps who you know just has that size advantage I was actually really excited to see him come back and and kind of work to get open on that that was the most receiverish thing I've seen him do other than just be a tall you know, a f- freak of, of, of physical specimen out there. Um, a guy who I was really r- rooting for, but I hope never sees the field again, honestly, is, is John Burt. I mean, it just hurts when Colin isn't out there and you replace him. And, and if you're going to put him out there, then do it with a 60 yard, take the top off the defense. Cause he's got the speed, you know, 50, 50 catches it. At least you, you stretch the field a little bit. Like other than that, like I don't really understand why we're targeting him and, 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 and I don't know. Like I said, the running backs, you're right. Keontae with the catch looked great, but I mean, it just felt like they were kind of slipping out there. And I don't, I don't, I don't really know. Like, I really don't know what to say because you're, <laughs> when they got a chance, the players who were better players who were clearly superior athletes shine. They, they had a chance. And when they got a crack, they did some good things. Like the, I think the Eagles catch was one of the plays of the year. I mean, just an, an incredible, credible play. Um, I guess maybe if they don't hit that, that walk-off field goal and we win this, like we're celebrating an ugly win. Hey, we won with our C stuff on the road. But I, I, I'm gl- I, I'm almost glad I don't have to sit here and praise a good game because it just nothing about this and the offensive side of the ball and the way we drew up our scheme and the way we executed it and the, the plays that were called on Saturday make me feel like I want to, you know, sit here and praise anything.
0: As on the offense, the defense, I've got some praise for the defense. But on the offensive side of the ball – Um, individual athletic plays is all I can praise, uh, because schematically they were not great. And, and I don't, and that's not necessarily on the players again, because when the players were out able to play fast and loose, like a good offense does, like we're seeing what I don't know is happening at LSU, Mm -hmm. maybe when players are put in position to just be the better athlete on the field. And, and this may be a shock to you, Kyle, but Texas in the last three years has recruited like LSU, especially on the offensive side of the ball. So it's, it's, it's frustrating to see what Matt Rule is doing in Waco or, again, what Matt Campbell is doing in, in Ames, where Texas has better athletes in both of those schools hands down and is unable to put anything together competent on offense. And, and I guess that brings us to the defense because the defense played really well. If you tell me going into this game, that Texas holds Iowa state to 23 points. I say Texas wins by two scores. Like if you tell the defense played well enough to win and that's, that's a shame after we've given them grief all year. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's kind of crazy. If you take the first two drives out of the last two games, then then we're singing a whole different tune about the the, the course of this season. They opened up the game poor yet again on the on the first defensive drive and seemed to kind of it's like they needed a punch in the face to to you know wake them up and and shake the cold out of their bones and actually start playing um <sighs> You know, I, I yeah, I, I agree. Twenty three points is a win in the Big Twelve, and it should be every single game. And 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 that is an assumption made when we talked about the offensive production in the early beginning of the years. Hey, if we could get the defense to get some stops and to hold teams under thirty five points, we we will win the game. I mean, we just we just took that for gospel. So it's it's again wildly frustrating that it flips back a little bit to to a couple years ago when when you know we're having elite defense. I hate to use the word elite, but it was a very good defensive performance given like the the what you just laid out. Um again, you can't think of this like a 1987, hey, you gave up 400 yard, you know, th- no, think about the context in which they did this. Then then 23 points is a win. It's fantastic. And you had guys who I think looked, you know, looked quite good. There was still a ton of teachable moments, but hey, if, if you're a coach we've talked about on this podcast, if Texas, if that game goes differently, and Texas is able to get a win, and the defensive coaches are able to celebrate some things, but still have a ton of coachable stuff, that's almost the perfect perfect play. You can keep on these players all week in in advance of what's going to be a very tough Baylor game, um, but you walk out with a win, and, and it should have been that, and I'm I'm kind of Frustrated for these defensive players who really needed a win. They needed a, hey, we got you on this one. You've been carrying us. And, and, and they really tried.
0: And we've said it on this podcast before that one or two stops in the Big 12 should be good enough to win a game. Like one or two stops in the Big 12 gets you a win in, in, most any con- in most any conference contest. And Texas had six drives that I would call stops. They had three three and outs, two fourth down stops, and an interception. I think all of those probably classify as a clean defensive stop. And Texas did nothing with any of those on offense. And so again, it's a shame to see the defense answering the call, especially after three weeks of people calling for, for Todd Orlando's head. And that that unit has complete if you if you isolate one Chris Brown, terrible play. Chris Brown played an incredible game. Like Chris Brown came back from an injury, played a really good game, had one blown assignment. That's a 75 yard touchdown, right? So if, if you isolate two, three plays out of that defensive performance, they, they played one of the best games I've seen all year. Again, last year was an, or last week was another example of that. Cause again, you hold Brock, Brock Purdy to two touchdowns. That's a W in my book, right? You hold, uh, you, you keep, you, like, Brock Purdy, part of what makes his game good is his ability to run, and he only ran four times for eight yards. Like, they kept a guy who really, like, the Purdy pump fake on the uh, on the touchdown was the one time Texas fell for it. And then you saw the next series, they didn't fall for it, and Caden Stearns tackled him in the open field, right? And so, like, that level of adjustment, that level of play, like, the defensive coaching staff is figuring it out. And if they could just figure out what's going on on offense – this is a really good team, but I I just don't have the faith that the Texas offense, once again, is going to reward what the defense is doing.
1: Yeah, and, 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 and again, this maybe is like, look, the, the, the last, you know, really take out the first quarter of the last game, last seven quarters, this has been a... Pretty serviceable defensive unit if you don't take any context of the the previous games you just saw those seven chords you say hey that's not a bad defense honestly and that's that's probably guys getting healthy you have to take that into account Stern still isn't a hundred percent but he looked good you know he had some things that I'd like to see him do a little better but he looked good I think Foster in the beginning of that game looked good but still might be a little banged up kind of degraded as the game went on and also just it's got to be tough when you're you're hurt and you're also trying to play nine different you know li- alignments during the game um which is which is just problematic and then i you know i i think honestly like uh coburn and Ojomo had again eating up blocks doing doing what you want from your bigs inside that we've had success in the past with we just don't have that second level like we 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 don't have guys uh we we don't really have middle linebackers you know this year, besides blitzing, you know Osai, uh, who who is not a middle linebacker, man. Let's let's get him where he can be best. It's not his fault. Um, but Mitchell, I just neither of them are, are really wowing me at inside linebacker, other than going downhill and trying to blitz. Um, but you know when you have big big uglies eating up blocks, that's what makes Malik Jefferson look good. That's what makes you know uh, Wheeler look probably better than than he should have, and looks Gary Johnson. You know makes him a, a an all Big Twelve type. Uh, player is when you, you have that system, we just don't have the linebackers to run it. And again, we aren't healthy enough to run the kind of speed defensive back package that we anticipated running this year. And and I think the solution in like week three or four was like, all right, that just means we'll, we'll bring uh, delayed secondary blitzes to make up for that. And, and it just, I, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I... I, I it's not entirely, I feel like there is, as people get healthier, you see a little bit more of the vision of the defense. And I, and I think that justifies a little bit for Orlando of what he has been trying to do and what he's been having to overcome. Um, so if there's another week next week against a really good Baylor team where this defense can continue um, to, to kind of hold teams under their, their season point average and hold what should be, we're going to call them big 12 wins on defense, then, then I think you, you have to walk back some of the things that you've said and say, look, like, they're just hustling, playing all over. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to miss tackles. They're not going to be perfect. This isn't going to be the most elite defensive unit, especially because there's young guys all over the place. But if they're hustling and they're trying to make plays and they're doing things and they're learning and they're growing, then I can't be mad at this team because we have seen something the past two weeks that is certainly what we've been asking for for the past six, you know, uh, before that.
0: Yeah, and and I think that's the the best way to say it. The This whole thing is colored by how frustrated we are at the offensive coaching staff and in some of the coaching decisions. And I think that is a, I think that's like, that's why I I have so much trouble giving praise to the defense and have really anybody on this team simply because like, I'm so disappointed. I think that's the, the way And Tom Herman addressed it in his Monday press conference. Like he said that, Fans, if you're a true supporter, you're well within your rights to be disappointed mm-hmm. and frustrated, uh, which, thanks for the permission, Tom, <laughs> uh, I was frustrated after the game when you said you didn't get outcoached. And he clarified that again in his Monday press conference by saying that when you asked that on Saturday, I was thinking, like, did they fool us or did they trick us? And he said, anytime you lose, you were outcoached, which, fine, whatever way to pe- way to walk that back. <laughs> uh, I still honestly don't think he believes he was outcoached. No. Uh, not at all. So it, it's just – where, did, where does Texas go from here, Kyle? Because the the hopes for the Big Twelve championship are essentially gone. Like there is a chaos model theory right. that puts Texas back in, but it re- would require Baylor losing to uh, to Kansas in their. Uh, I guess that would be Kansas's senior night on the road. That would be a very less miles thing to do. Uh, but but where does Texas go from here with two games left on the schedule? They've got a, a uh, afternoon matchup against the Baylor Bears on the road, and then they close the season out at home day after thanksgiving against texas tech
1: i think some not necessarily players but some people on the coaching staff are auditioning for their jobs next year um and i hate to put it that bluntly um but you know this is not an acceptable win total we're bull ed- eligible whoa yeah that's great but like this is not acceptable for texas and and no matter how the last couple games shake out even i mean i i think i predicted when we had our final four where we'd be that we'd win against k-state lose iowa state and win the last two so i could still be correct in that um but even still in that scenario like you have to look at it how that performance goes um and there still could be some shakeup. so i think there's especially on that offensive side of the ball right now um not just with the coordinator but position coaches as well there's, there's some auditioning for jobs and and so i think we will know a lot more um based on how these next two two weeks go if you get a win against baylor maybe it calms some things down um baylor's looked good um even even in there you know we'll talk about it in our, our preview but i mean that'd be a good quality win for texas at this point that would be a great win for the the inconsistency and the you know the unpredictability of this texas team if they could string it all together on the road um and and be able to do that i mean like i said it I don't think we can talk about this game without talking a little bit about the special teams. I think the big play, I don't know if we've talked about it yet, but, I mean, obviously, Texas has walked off two teams so far this year, and it just hurts when you're on the other side of it. It's frustrating. Uh, we were kind of saying, it, just let them score so you can get the offense back. We finally found something that worked. Um, but on that last offensive drive, when they had the chance, they, they turtle-shelled. So I don't know if that's the right answer, but, but still... He would have missed that kick had we not jumped off sides, and that's tough. It's really tough that that. Uh, but again, I think that comes down to a coaching thing. Like why, why aren't you prepping them for that? They know that you've been aggressive coming for field goals, you know, all year, and you have to be. You have to be ready for that, don't you?
0: Yeah, and and I put it out there on Twitter. I kind of do a Sunday thread when my you know when I'm my son is watching Monsters Inc or something on on. TV or whatever, right? So I I do the the Sunday thread, and I said in there that, like, that's not a player penalty. That's a coaching penalty because an athlete's going to go out there and try to make a play. And as a coach, your job uh, is to say, hey, don't go for this kick. Don't try to jump the snap. Don't try to block it because a penalty loses us the game. Like that's, that's what a, that's what a coach needs to do in that situation. And it's counterintuitive for a lot of people, but you play it safe and you let your offense do what they have done three out of the last four weeks, which is put together a two minute drive and went on a last second field goal, put it on the foot of Cameron Dicker. The, again, the only kicker in school history to have 2 walk off field goals, right? So that's what a good special teams coach has to do in that huddle. And I'm, I'm at the point where I'm, I'm done being nice. I need them to make a decision about Coach Wareheim. like That's the guy that of all of the staff I'm really frustrated with. Um, he was the offensive line coach two years ago when they were terrible. <laughs> he then moved to tight ends and special teams. The tight ends have been okay but haven't really seen a ton of development. And the special teams outside of individual great performances from kickers have been bad. Texas was negative on punt returns. There was a game where they – I didn't know if they'd ever practiced fielding a punt or a kick. Like, I, I just – I don't – like, that Oklahoma State game is embarrassing. Like, I, I – that's and, – and this is going to be sound crazy, but, like, if there's a change on the coaching staff, that's the first one I, I would like to see made because that's a huge differentiator in a lot of your games.
1: Yeah, and, and I think the uh, – the you know, we talk about Wareham as the coach for sure. I think, you know, we've put – I shouted him out on this podcast before, but um, again, Casey Horney is your, is your analyst on that unit and comes up with a lot of the schemes and, and Hey, if you're, if your heads are rolling, I mean, that that might be another one Not that, that really moves the needle much for folks. It's not an actual coaching position, but yeah, I mean, I, I agree. And, it, and it's, it's untimely penalties, both, you know, on the defense and on the special teams that, that, that lead to that leave an entirely different taste in the mouth than, Hey, he makes that kick, you get a chance on offense. Hey, he misses that kick, wow. Whew, that was a close one. You know, like, I, I don't... You walk away from the game feeling different. Again, I wouldn't sit here and praise our offense or anything like that and say, wow, what a win. But you you take ugly wins, you know? Part of a winning culture and a program is you do the things you need to at the end of games to get the ugly wins and to, to get out of there and cut your losses. Like, I, I just... There needs to be some new thinking injected into that coaching staff cuz right now it feels like everyone's okay with this there's i just i don't see the anger that like hey we will get better we're going to do it i i just don't see that
0: i always feel bad going cuz like I would hate for someone to look at the worst moments at my job and then tell me they should fire me. So I always feel like my job is not on national TV, but also coach Wareheim makes probably quite a bit more than I'm making currently. Right. Whatever. It's kind of our job to do that. So uh, Texas falls to six and four on the season, uh, the 10th consecutive year of four losses. Now, last year was kind of a bit of an anomaly because they played for a yeah, 14 games rather than your traditional 13, uh, but still not a, uh, not a great look for the Longhorns,
1: especially because it comes off. Obviously, you know, when you talk about uh, 10 consecutive seasons, it comes off the end of the heyday. That was really an, an unbelievable 10 win, you know, was just guaranteed um, that, that probably was a bit of the exception raised the bar too high. But I mean, that, when you're the richest program, when you have access to the best recruits, when you have the name cachet that's Texas, that shouldn't be the norm. That should be what people are expecting. Um the, the crazy thing is in that Tom Herman era, if you look at just the last twenty four games, sixteen of them, so to two thirds, have been decided by less than a touchdown. They've done relatively well in those close games, ten and six, but that's just tough. Like it's just it, it it's been a stressful watch for fans for the past Three years really since he got here, but the past two years, I mean, it, it it's tough. And Gerald, you have the best stat for this season, I think that I've seen. Uh, the just odd, random stat you texted me about. What what other when we talk about this season and some 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 numbers, what else we got?
0: Texas is zero three this year on grass and six and one on turf surfaces. The one loss being to LSU. So, um, I don't know what you take from that, other than um really again taking it probably too far you play slower on grass than you do on turf and so I think the teams that they've played on grass two of the three have been teams that they are um, able to trot out significantly greater athletes than so some of that is probably that but also you saw some footing issues you saw some shoe losses in a couple of these games so uh, weirdness is happening again you can't Credit the grass as a huge differentiator, but it's definitely a weird stat.
1: The Mac Brown era is officially over. Uh, I mean, when when Ricky Williams was on campus, we really liked grass. So
0: I got nothing. So Texas plays <laughs> Baylor on the road, driving up I thirty-five uh, to take on the Bears this Saturday. Uh, the Bears coming off of a narrow loss at the hands of the Oklahoma Sooners. OU came back from a big big deficit. And we'll talk a lot more about that on Thursday in our preview show. And so now's the segment that we give some, uh, some shine to the sports that don't necessarily get the attention that we should. And we down the 40. So I, uh, as bad as the, as frustrating as the football team has been, the Texas volleyball team has just continued to be incredible. The class of the conference, they sweep Kansas state and TCU, uh, Downing the purple, as Kyle would love to, uh, to, to, to tout, we'll say, uh, Brianna Butler, uh, her first defensive player of the week award of the season. Skylar Fields got the, the newcomer of the week. Uh, Butler had 13 blocks in two games while Fields, uh, hit 17 kills over two matches the women are rolling Kyle and at least it's it's fun to watch uh, another team on campus dominate
1: yeah and, and this is this is a big week for for the women this is probably their biggest test um, we did joke last week they dropped a set uh, in big 12 play but really I think it's just the two so far um, but they have a huge test coming up Wednesday traveling to Waco to take on number three Baylor I've mentioned on this podcast a couple times to my wife a Baylor alum we have a we have a, a testy week this week with volleyball on Wednesday and football on Saturday. I'm sure she would feel much better knowing that I was happy if Texas won both of those.
0: Absolutely. And, and uh, the last time Texas played Baylor in volleyball, Texas swept them, but that was in the friendly confines of, uh, of Austin, Texas. They're heading to Waco. You can catch that game on ESPN plus if you don't have ESPN plus what are you doing with your life hashtag go ahead and get that disney plus bundle deal a uh, basketball makes their first appearance in the ap top 25 since november of last year uh the rank number 22 they won their last two games uh took care of business against california baptist and had a little bit of a scare against prairie view a&m
1: yeah it, more than they should have there was a lot of people i think just muttering under their breath radford 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 um you know so it, it, it i will take winning our worst game of the year as opposed to losing it if that is going to be the case i like that we have a number next to our name we talked about that in our, our preseason kind of uh prediction where they might be heading into big 12 and we're, we're we still got a ways to go but uh yeah this is this is an interesting team it seems like they have a different guy step up each game and even though this one looked like wow hey are you really gonna lose to not only a team that you're better than but a team with A&M in their name obviously starting the the, the counter now 1-0 versus A&M with, with TAMU coming up later um but the guy this this week was uh, Donovan Williams the freshman who probably the, the the lesser of the heralded freshmen just because Will Baker's a very big man um but he just he kind of came in and changed the whole game on both ends of the floor there was a point where he stole a ball you know hit a guy for an open shot didn't make it so he grabbed the offensive rebound and then scored like that type of play from one player on both ends of the court is a fantastic thing that I don't think anyone necessarily thought we were for sure going to get uh from from him this year so anything that we're getting is a um is a big plus and he just seems like he's going to Jared Liddell kind of flashed a little bit early obviously we knew what we have in Coleman and Ramey they flashed a little bit um but adding Donovan Williams as a as a potential difference maker when we still haven't had a Febris game you know we we still have some guys Jericho Sims is, is really trending the right direction I'll say that um so I mean if he really gets it going as we head into you know some some tougher games on the schedule here um then then I like where this team could be uh, I I think It's a good mix and a good thing for Shaka right now with, with, you know, not relying only on freshmen, a good amount of talent, just seeing who's hot tonight, who is here to play and having options is a great feeling.
0: They, they had their one one dry spell a game run, but they were able to recover offensively last year. Again, it seemed like they were like as soon as that dry spell hit, you're like, well, they're not scoring for the rest of the game uh, or the rest of the half, at least. And so the fact that they're able to kind of shoot themselves out of it and and don't you take shots at my, my boy, Jace, because he didn't. We haven't had a Jace game yet, but we had some Jace moments uh, in that Prairie View A&M game where he knocked down a couple of big shots. So, uh, again, Texas is now on the road. They're going to head to Madison Square Garden to take on the Georgetown Hoyas. Uh, uh, this weekend, a potentially a, uh, a matchup with Duke or Cal, depending on how their game shakes out. Again, that's a Thursday, Friday uh, as part of like a 2K-sponsored tournament. That's
1: right, and, and we all know where that's played. It's in Texas's house, the place that they play blessed, best in the country, the NIT home, Madison Square Garden. So they're up there defending their flag, their banner up in the rafters. This is an NIT title defense, if ever there was one, going back to the scene of the crime.
0: Trying to extend their Madison Square Garden win streak to eight games. Texas cross-country heading to the NCAA championships this Saturday. They got a boost in the ratings. Uh, The men jump to number 27. The women appear in the top 30, which is a weird thing that cross-country does uh, for the first time this season. Uh, I love the quote from the men's cross-country coach. The rankings don't matter, and I love this sport because it all hinges on one race. Uh, women's basketball not having as uh, as hot of a start as the uh, the men's basketball team. One and two on the year, they lost to USF, beat UTSA, and then lost to Arizona, eighty 83- three to 58. I don't I don't know what's going on with with Karen Aston's group, but I'm not liking what I'm seeing from them so far this season. Yeah,
1: it seems like, you know, where the preseason had the men and women rank might be flipped. They they're they're not having a number next to their name on the performance, but the season is very, very young, Gerald. There's plenty of time for them to get a little cohesion and get things going, um, but not the start that anyone a expected or, you know, B is, is comfortable at all with seeing. So uh, need something quickly to change for that because the rest of our women's sports are, you know, doing
0: great. Not a great segue, Kyle. I Thank you for tanking me. Soccer. Lost to the first round of the NCAA tournament to number two Texas A&M <laughs> on a four-one decision. That is the worst segue we've done, and Kyle totally submarined the podcast. Uh,
1: there's there's no doubt about that. I mean, I, I basically it's if you miss time your alley oop throw on on NBA 2K, it just goes straight into the rim, and Gerald soaring up above for the 360 alley oop just you know hits his elbow on the backboard. So sorry about that. You are you are my high flyer. You are my Jericho Sims. I my Jackson Hayes. I apologize, Gerald. I'll take that one. But I will give you a nugget because I, I need to redeem myself. Though they lost that game, it was the final game for Sierra Henson, who truly is going to go down as one of the all-time great you know, soccer players on the 40 acres. Finishes fourth on the career list for both goals with 27 and uh, match winners with 12 of those in her career. So sad to see her leave the 40, but she definitely left her mark on it.
0: Absolutely. And Texas baseball is... Having a fall world series, which is kind of a weird orange and white series. Uh, There's like a draft and some alumni are playing. I don't really know what's going on there. But the big news is that the uh, 2020 Baseball America recruiting rankings are out in the Texas Longhorns. Top that list. Number one for
1: 2020 yeah hey if they get every single one of those players on the 40 acres then i'm instantly thinking this is a national championship caliber team um unfortunately a lot of those guys are so good the reason that ranking is so high is there's there's some you know first three round um MLB talent and, and hey we had some guys last year who said if it ain't burn it ain't turn and I'm gonna go to the 40 acres despite where I get drafted so that could be the case but uh but yeah we there's probably enjoy some of these guys now because there's probably a good chance that at least a couple of them uh could be making big money and playing pitching in the majors next year or, or playing in the majors but nonetheless this is where you want to be this is where Texas baseball should be we should be getting the best class in the country um, and, and of the players. Don't hear me say that it's not going to be a good class. Even if you lose a couple of the draft is still an unbelievably talented, uh, talented class. That's going to, going to reinvigorate a, a program that needs to be up there at the top.
0: Absolutely. Texas baseball is, is weird when they're not uh, in the college world series, but that's brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, big Bertha. And we bang the drum brought to you by Joe. Ruiz. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week?
1: Well, the, I'm banging the drum on the big news of the week, Gerald. I'm sure you saw this posted all over the internet, but the breaking news is that Tim Beck has resigned. That's right, folks. I'm breaking it here on the pod. You surely already saw it on the internet, but yes, Tim Beck has resigned from his post. A real gorilla in the jungle um who just was a, a a mountain of a man a a a titan um out here but but again a gorilla is the way I will describe um because I'm talking about Pitt State head coach Tim Beck stepping down um, from that post. You know, just a, just a really unbelievable career. 10 seasons as the head coach, 33 seasons on the staff there at Pitt State. He started as a student assistant in 1987. 88 was a grad assistant, and then 90, all the way up to 91 was an assistant coach. Finally got on there as the defensive coordinator. Then the offensive coordinator in the last nine years has been the head Head coach, and included in that was the 2011 D2 national championship. That's right, guys. If your name is Tim Beck, you are not precluded from coaching a national championship. Um, well, we know that, but uh, he played his first three seasons as a defensive back there for the Gorillas. So, so I, wait, did people think I did? People think I was talking about the other Tim Beck. Apologize, guys. My apologies.
0: Hats off for a great career from the head man. For the gorillas, I'm banging the drum this week on a um a particular rivalry that needs to be uh, reignited. I'm talking about the Texas Longhorns and the Texas A and M Aggies reigniting the rivalry on a football field. Now that football field may be covered in ice. It may be in January. They may be wearing skates. And Hockey 6. So, uh, there is a rivalry game in the works for the Texas club hockey team to take on the Texas A&M club hockey team in the Cotton Bowl on January 5th. Um, that's going to be the day after they, the, uh, the NHL does their kind of winter, whatever, when we play hockey outside, um, it's so it's it's just funny to see that it basically everything but football these teams are playing at some point. And even when it comes to the fact that both of these teams are going to end the regular season uh, with basically the same record and end up both eligible to play in the Texas Bowl, one or both of them will balk at the opportunity to play the other. So maybe the only opportunity we're going to have to see Texas and Texas A&M play on a football field for the next 20 or 30 years maybe January 5th in Dallas. So they've already raised the $3,000 they need to help fund this event. So it should happen. January 5th, keep an eye out. You can follow Texas hockey on Twitter. You can find them. They have their nice, they have actually a really nice uh, web page, but the blog is like three years out of date. So don't worry about that. But the schedule is, uh, is up to date for 2019, 2020, and hopefully we'll see that date added in the near future.
1: Wonderful misdirection on both accounts there, but I just want to say I don't know if they are uh, currently a sponsor, but the last time I went to the Texas Bowl was when we started shilling for Fuddruckers. That's right, guys. You haven't heard it in a little while, but Fuddruckers, former Texas Bowl sponsors, make make a really incredible hamburger, and they now follow us on Twitter, so uh, it's just a matter of time before we start having actual ads for Fuddruckers. Serious funny name? Serious sandwich? No, that's Slotsky's. Anyways, Fuddruckers. Sponsor of the podcast To be determined
0: the only sponsor that we'd control the audio for. Uh, we don't so, <laughs> pulling back the curtain a little bit on the, on the feedback we got. We don't actually control. We don't know what ads are going to play in the podcast week to week. We just kind of put a, Hey, put a, put an ad here uh, because that's how this works. So if flood records wants to give us an ad read where we can control the tone and the uh, conversation, maybe that's happening. Talk about that delicious nacho cheese sauce to dip those wonderful crisp potato wedges crispy on the outside, soft on the inside. And uh, we'd love to have a conversation conversation about that
1: if any any of you are in Fud Ruckers corporate and haven't tweeted us yet I don't know what you're doing but come on I know you listen to this Fud Ruckers mr. Rucker uh, this is obviously uh, Darius uh quote fud ruckers um, joint isn't it i believe that's the case if not um just anyone affiliated with the fud ruckers family uh, of restaurants please tweet us with hashtag replies to texas or just tweet us dm us however you get it. we're going to list off how you can get a hold of us in a second but fud ruckers get get on it get get with our people our people get with your people we are the people we'll, we'll make it we'll make it work
0: that's all we've got for you this week, mercifully. That's where we end. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet?
1: You can find me trolling through at FUD Ruckers. Also, find me on my personal Twitter account at Kyle Carpenter and the Texas Pregamer
0: at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at G H Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at LonghornPod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Con, thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook Hookem.
1: Hook em. 36 days to the Texas Bowl.